Welcome to the Climate Pelicans Brief, a podcast bridging the gap between climate science and Louisiana frontline communities. I'm Corinne Salter. And I'm Jill Tapitza. Join us as we disentangle environmental justice issues facing Louisiana using peer-reviewed science as well as the voices and lived experiences of community leaders. Our goals are to uplift activist platforms and raise awareness about the many environmental puzzles in Louisiana. While contextualizing everything through the lens of climate crisis mitigation. Welcome back to another episode of the Climate Pelicans Brief. Today we bring an exciting topic that's really been on the minds of a lot of Louisianians. Is it Louisianians or is it Louisianans? Um, Louisianan is the universal term. Louisianian is what Louisiana what louisianians prefer that's really funny to me okay <laughs> we're gonna continue <laughs> oh we're not even gonna cut that because yeah, i think so we funny. all wanted to know <laughs> yeah honestly because i was like i've only ever heard my mom refer to people from louisiana as louisianians and so i would say it but then i'm like it feels wrong but then i would hear people like in more like uh, national spaces more universal spaces say louisianans so i was like hmm that's interesting so while i was writing this i looked it up and i was like what is preferred and on i think it was like on reddit or something people that were from louisiana was like they were basically like yeah we prefer louisianians if you are from louisiana but if you're not or just want to relay this information or like use a term that's like more universally accepted it's louisianians so i was like very interesting because i've only ever heard my mom say louisianians that's so interesting yeah. thank you for sharing yeah I'm glad we <laughs> always have to use our language to delineate like where the residents are versus who are the outsiders who's <laughs> really from new york it's <laughs> so funny okay so we are on an exciting topic and it's not about the language we use to describe ourselves um <laughs> not about dialects <laughs> no it's not about louisiana dialects because like that's a whole other topic um that we don't really i don't know anything about um so we have an exciting topic that's really been on the minds of a lot of Louisianians and off, like honestly I feel like it's also on the minds of a lot of Americans in general and that is environmental justice. Mm-hmm. So environmental justice is going to be a recurring theme. Um, it's something that Climate Pelican's mis- mission really hinges on and it's something that affects um, both of us personally mm-hmm. um, of course and a, a lot of us greatly so today we're really just going to give a primer into environmental justice and its impacts on society and public health and then throughout our series we will delve deeper into the racialized social processes that shape environmental justice not just in louisiana but also at large um, we'll plan to hear a lot from community members throughout the series as the theme recurs uh, specifically members from ej communities or environmental justice communities Um, who have different perspective and different experiences that fall under this umbrella term of environmental justice. Um, So this is a pretty big issue, and I thought maybe we could kick off our episode by chatting about what environmental justice means to us individually, um, Climate Pelicans as an organization as well. Um, We can talk about why we care and why other people should care too. And Corey, since you are our (laughs) Louisianian... (laughs) Um, on air today (laughs) right um would you like to go first yeah definitely um so i really love the idea of talking about like what environmental justice means to us individually but also of course like to climate pelicans in general because like why do we care why did we start climate pelicans with this mission of environmental justice so um yeah i can definitely talk about like my personal experience with environmental justice um so yeah a lot of what I study has to do with environmental justice. And so it's really a big passion of mine. Um, and I like to say that it's like really hard coded into my life at this point, not just professionally, but also personally. Um, so it's like something that I always say I can't get away from it. But and that sounds like so um, downtrodden, honestly. But like for me, it's something that I can't get away from because I care about it so much, but also just because it impacts like so many aspects of my life. Um, like as you mentioned before i'm from louisiana or at least i was raised here and so my entire family is from louisiana but 
a little about me. I was born in the Marshall Islands, um, and a lot of people know about the Marshall Islands uh, for the fact that anthropogenic climate change is causing it to sink on underwater. And a lot of the people of the Marshall Islands, my people, are losing their homes and their livelihoods because of industrialization and greenhouse gas em- gas emissions, uh, which have caused this rapid climate change. Um, but I was also adopted as a baby, so I was adopted um, pretty much a week after I was born. Um, and it was like an arranged adoption. Um, and my adoptive family is all from Louisiana. So all of them are native Louisianians. Um, and so I was raised throughout Baton Rouge and bounced kind of between here and Ascension and Livingston Parish, um, throughout my entire, my entire life pretty much. But I have family that's all from Louisiana. So I have a lot of family that's from New Orleans, from Lafayette, Slidell, Zachary, Sabine, Alec, not Alexandria, not Alexandria, Virginia or anything, (laughs) but Alec, Louisiana, um, Lake Charles, all different parts of Louisiana. Um, And yeah, I think the thing that I connect with most between both of those places, so I have a home country that's, you know, like I said, dealing with all these issues related to climate change, um, sinking underwater, you know, having all these really, really intense and more intensifying um, natural natural disasters that are occurring, natural um, weather events that are making it really hard to sustain life in the Marshall Islands. Um, and then that really also has to do with Louisiana as well. You know, like I said, I've lived here my entire life. And um, that's really the idea of like environmental justice is that um, certain communities and places kind of bear this unequal burden of environmental risks without any equal say in their outcomes. And a lot of times this lack of equality in outcomes is heavily racialized. And so that's something that both the Marshall Islands um, and Louisiana both deal with a lot. Um, For instance, the Marshall Islands contributed um, very little of the greenhouse gas emissions in 2019, but is on the front line for climate change impacts. While the U.S. has contributed, uh, as we know, quite a bit there's a number of like 6340.2 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalents in greenhouse gas emissions um yet we see countries like the marshall islands being on the front line for a lot of this despite them contributing very little to anthropogenic climate change yeah and i see you've got a number for the marshall islands here too um so i'll share that as well uh, 164.92 like kilotons mm-hmm. of greenhouse gas emissions in 2019. So yeah. that's 6,000 plus versus 164. That's a pretty big disparity. Yeah, I would um, say so. <laughs> and very little say in what happens. Mm-hmm. Like you think you put things into the world and it comes back to you in equal parts. But EJ is just the story of that not happening. Um, right. And so that's really not much that the Marshall Islands contribute to greenhouse gas emissions um, versus the the climate impacts that they're seeing. So it must feel really frustrating to have to beg for all that support and climate policy change while not being a large contributor to climate change at all. You're kind of responsible for cleaning up the mess that other people have made. Yeah, exactly. It's extremely frustrating. And I've really seen that a lot more recently because um, I recently have become a part of a nonprofit um, that educates Marshallese people and basically anyone who will listen about the, <laughs> like the people listening right now, <laughs> about the effects of climate change uh, and what they're doing basically to the Marshall, what it's having, what effect it's having on the Marshall Islands. And uh, basically like what we're here to do too is try to get people to care um, about the people who are suffering through not much fault of their own, except for falling basically just too low on the totem pole and not being able to have that sort of equity in their voice being heard in these outcomes. And so Louisiana, like I said, it has a similar story. You know, we have places like Cancer Alley, which is only an 85 mile stretch of Louisiana, but accounts for 25% of petrochemical production in the U.S. And obviously, like in producing those petrochemicals, there's there's emissions that drastically affect air quality for those living in and around these production facilities. And with that comes a heightened risk of cancer, which is what is given it its name that so many people may know it by um so yeah i really have i like to say i i really have like a lot of environmental justice issues kind of hard-coded into my life my ancestry like no matter where i go i'm always kind of like still connected to it in some way 
Thanks for sharing all of that and why it um, applies to you. I'm curious to know, can you share the name of the nonprofit that you just um, are a part of? Yeah, so it's based in Arkansas. Kind of weird um, because actually a lot of the Marshallese diaspora has moved over to Arkansas um, for a number of overlapping, usually racialized reasons. Um, and so it's based in Arkansas in Springfield and it's called the Marshallese Education Initiative. And basically we just try to talk about, um, educate, you know, young Marshallese people who may not know about the effects that climate change are having on the Marshall Islands, but then also just like let everybody who will listen, like I said, let them know about those effects of climate change, what we're dealing with, um, and kind of just be like a voice for, um, yeah, just trying to bring more power and more justice to the climate change movement, because um, a lot of times it is people like the Marshallese that are going to be bearing the brunt of the burden of that. I love that this nonprofit exists. Yes. There's so many like small places that are doing such good work out there. So right. thanks for sharing with that with us. Of um, course. Um, so I know we said we both share about what environmental justice means to us, and I don't study it professionally like you do, but I definitely have grown to see it as a really big issue. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I've always been aware of EJ as like an academic sense, mm -hmm. like I knew the facts about it, um, but it didn't really become very tangible to me until I moved to Louisiana. And unlike other states, you see these lines drawn um, along contribution to greenhouse gas emissions, um, race, socioeconomic status, and the physical health of residents, like you were talking about with the petrochemical facilities causing cancer risks for the residents. Yeah. Um, and in Baton Rouge, which is where we're located, um, there are still these divides. It's not even just like all over Louisiana, specifically like, you know, in my neighborhood, in the neighborhood next door, things like that. And they're very, very obvious um, if you come from another place. Um, you see these low-income housing placed on low-lying ground closest to the levee, mm -hmm. um, which are also the areas of greatest flood risk. That's EJ right there, big flag. Right, yeah. um, you're putting people who can't afford other places like at the the area where they're going to get flooded every couple of years. Um, not fair. Um, you see higher rates of cancer, asthma, um, COPD in some neighborhoods more than others. Um, that was apparent to me when I did my EMT certification. So I, I don't have a lot of like experience out um, serving the community, but I did ha have the chance to participate on ambulance rides and like different types of neighborhoods and it's amazing the different calls you get depending on where you're located right. and a lot of these neighborhoods that are like lower socioeconomic status that are placed in like these more environmentally precarious areas you do see those higher rates of um, calls that are associated with like difficulty breathing or just like a compounding health issues yeah. um, whereas in other neighborhoods you you don't get that you get like you know accidents yeah. fell off your roof you, i don't know stuff like that um, <laughs> um and so like this is not just a coincidence um these these divides and it's really difficult to ignore once you see it happening around you so right. for me personally um injustice of any kind really ruffles my feathers mm. so ej is something that matters to me so i'm glad we're talking about it today and i'm glad we're going to continue to talk about it the series yeah me too especially because like i feel like we have just two completely different perspectives on ej even though it's like you know we obviously still care about it in the same ways but we have like different experiences because you know we've just gone through different things and you know we've lived in different areas and so like that's why um i think it's so important to have these like different perspectives and like different experiences with it because at the end of the day we both still care about it and we both still see it as an issue that needs to be tackled which is why we're part of Climate Pelicans. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, at the end of the day, it really is just how your power relationships influence the ways in which certain um, marginalized communities are able to meaningfully contribute to environmental decision-making outcomes. Um, because like, you know, we both know as scientists, the natural environment and the things that we do in it, especially how we regulate it or we don't or how we apply different protections unequally, protections of the environment, um, that's going to have drastic impacts on the people and the species that are living in it. So it's not that the environment itself is really discriminating against certain groups over others. It's that the resources within those environments and those resources health are unfairly applied and allocated. So the protections of those certain resources and who it's given to and then what protections are given to who, 
those types of things are kind of like where it comes down to environmental justice because you know so many things are so many of our systems are right are racialized um that it's like it's just naturally going to have this impact over how the environment is regulated too like the environment is no different it's still subject to certain laws and policies that can be applied discriminately you're so right and you mentioned that it's not the environment itself that's discriminatory right Right. like mother nature is you know, she doesn't have it out for us. Yeah, she yeah, she doesn't have it out for us. <laughs> right. Like this is not saying that you live in a particular place. Like just naturally, you're, you know, in a better off state versus living somewhere else. This is like Mother Nature really is here to care for us. Um, yeah. So that's not what environmental justice framework is claiming. Right. I'm hearing that right. Yeah, that it's like it's about the resources that humans are allocating, and um, it has nothing to do with the the natural environment. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, just basically, well, we're going to get into this a little bit, but basically the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, it defines environmental justice as the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin or income with respect to the development implementation and enforcement of environmental laws regulations and policies so that's kind of like a mouthful but it's basically saying like what we're saying is that you know environmental quality and the environmental risk exposure a lot of times are going to come from the fair treatment and meaningful involvement that certain people are allowed so the fact that the epa has to like kind of line that out it shows you that a lot of times there is not fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people regardless of their identities so that's kind of where environmental justice really like comes in is that people should have that equality and say and equality and protection that comes from having that equal say so just to like dig into that a little bit more can you mention like the specific amendments that allow the epa to do that and what exactly is what language is actually used yeah so um basically it's the fifth and the 14th amendment in the u.s that the u.s government has so basically the u.s government has a responsibility to ensure a clean and healthy environment to all citizens regardless of race creed color or sex um and so that's kind of like where environmental justice like i said comes in is that even though they have this requirement based on our amendment rights every single citizen has the rights to this um they don't always fairly well i shouldn't say they generally speaking but a lot of times we just don't see those rights fairly applied so like a lot of other like intersectional issues Mm -hmm. um that were created in the amendments the constitution we're also now seeing those all along environmental lines oh for sure Um, yeah okay that's what you're saying yeah (laughs) um so the unfair application of these rights and protections is a big part of environmental justice in that framework um can you dive just like a little bit deeper into that to for our curious listeners yeah yeah so i kind of touched on this a little bit before but um it's basically the idea that the environment is regulated and the rights to a healthy environment are protected and upheld by regulatory bodies. And these regulatory bodies um, that protect the environment really aren't too different from the same that regulate our rights and create our policies and regulations related to other issues. Um, So that's something, I mean, I'm not sure about y'all, but it's something that I've been hearing about all the time lately. The fact that unless you're basically an old cis straight rich white man, you and your interests are probably not going to be the best represented by these regulatory bodies. Um, And that's why we see things like anti-trans bills, anti-LGBTQIA plus legislation coming out, and anti-diversity bills, the mess that is happening in Florida right now uh, with Common Core and how the history of slavery and racism is being taught in schools, you know, you name it. There's so many different things that we see in our regulatory bodies, like whether it be local, state, federal, that are not always representative of the little people of the people that are going to be disempowered communities that are going to be on the front line of industrial inundation. That's basically kind of the idea that we have all these people that are making our our laws and our policies related to the environment, and they don't even live in the communities that are being hardest hit by environmental justice issues. Yeah, and I mean, that makes sense because that's something we say for our mission in Climate Pelicans is that no one can speak community speak for communities better than its members yeah and 
it's so easy to deny or ignore the injustices taking place against certain communities if you're literally not from those communities. Exactly. Like, what do you know? Right. Like, <laughs> um, and then I think that highlights the need, just the overall need for a more diverse representation in these decision-making, as well as the regulatory bodies like the EPA that you're talking about. Right. And, like, that's, like, the issue is, like, like we're saying, the natural environment itself is not discriminatory, but the people who make the laws and the protections and, you know, really make the regulations for what can go on in the environment and who has the right to release certain emissions and who has to be bearing the brunt of those emissions, um, those are going to be naturally discriminatory because if we think about the people that are representing us at the highest levels of legislation, it's not extremely representative, but like it makes sense because it's out of sight, out of mind. Like you said, if they're not from these communities, then it's so easy to be like, Oh yeah, we need, you know, we need to have these uh, certain industries set up in certain areas. So why don't we send these toxic facilities to places that we don't live because you don't want them in your backyard so where are they gonna go you know put them in the places that you don't live in yeah they go to the backyards of the people who don't have a seat at the table regularly to say no i don't want this in my backyard i don't want you to set this facility up here because they're really looking at from like a profit lens and they're they're strategic about it too they're Mm -hmm. not going to try to set it up in a neighborhood when they know that there's a lot of community um support yeah for you know different things that go on in the community they're gonna they're gonna pick on the little guys they're gonna pick on some some people who don't have a seat at the table basically yeah exactly um yeah and that's the thing that basically environmental justice is saying the seat at the table um we see the we see that those seats are not fairly given um because really environmental policy making is really no different than policy making in any other arena it's politicized it's discriminatory naturally because policy is being decided by a very few unrepresentative people and that's what environmental justice says is, well, that's what the EPA says, especially about environmental justice, is that regardless of our identities, all citizens should have the right to contribute to environmental decision making equally. And the environmental pr- protections that were afforded should genuinely be applied evenly. And that's what we see with environmental justice issues is that. Um, this definitely doesn't always happen. That's where the disconnect is between just and unjust environmental outcomes is that seat at the table who's it who's it given to who's making the decisions that are going to ultimately affect groups of people that they may not even be able to represent in an equitable way yeah absolutely and i think like just something to add on to that would be that the um like the epa fund like it's not just who works for the epa or like who is making our policies also it's you know, the funding cycles in the EPA, it's under the federal government. So like we saw a couple of years ago when, you know, he who must not be named decided to cut back funding on the EPA, you know, firing a lot of people, putting people in different positions. It's things like that Mm -hmm. um, that are also affecting like, you know, who gets those protections. Like the EPA is a, a definite body of like defined resources, like a, like a limited resource pool of like people. And it's the people who are, have a seat at the table who get those protections and exactly. the people who don't who are like oh sorry we don't have enough funding to like actually regulate the sulfur oxides coming out of this right. toxic facility for you so like yeah. just deal with it right just deal yourself. with it yeah. we're just gonna not tell you about it um so okay so that little rant um <laughs> so that lack of equal protections and right um to contribute meaningfully in environmental c- outcomes um we see how that can happen so what does that ultimately lead to well yeah like for instance minoritized communities are more likely to be surrounded by hazardous waste waste treatment storage or disposal facilities and low-income neighborhoods tend to have more landfills and waste transfer stations and with these types of facilities uh it introduces a host of issues wow that's just like the mosaic of america yeah like this is just like how it's been it's just how it's set up and it hurts so bad to look at it um i can imagine that the people who are in those communities that have those disposal or storage or waste treatment facilities um they don't want that in their neighborhood i'm sure they're aware of them like Mm -hmm. you can you can see in louisiana there's like a quiet little neighborhood like a giant bright lights like constantly blowing smoke in their faces thing terrible smell in the background like i've seen some really harrowing pictures and like i've driven by some things that i'm like that really is that real (laughs) right now (laughs) so like these the people who have these in their backyards like they didn't 
invite that. Right. Um, and so like that, I guess that kind of contributes to this idea of NIMBYism. Yeah. Which I know you wanted to touch on. You want to explain uh, NIMBY for our listeners? Yeah. So basically NIMBY is it's um, an acronym for not in my backyard. Um, and so that's what NIMBYism really is. It's like, don't put that in my backyard. Um, okay, well, if it's not put in somebody's backyard, in a certain community's backyard, then it has to go somewhere. And so the flip side of NIMBYism, unfortunately, because of the racialized social structures that we have in the U.S., um, it introduces the flip side of that, which is PIBYism, um, a term that's been used by certain scholars, um, which basically means put it in black backyards. So that means, well, if it's not going to go into these communities, like you said, the communities that have that sort of support and social capital to be able to push back against these industries, well, then where is it going to go? It's going to go to a group of people who have been so historically and contemporarily marginalized and disempowered to the point that they're not going to be able to have that equality and say to say, no, we don't want that here, put it somewhere else, or just don't put it anywhere at all. They're not going to have that that equality of say so it's going to go into their backyards and unfortunately they're going to end up they're going to end up being disadvantaged even further because of that and so um yeah that's kind of the thing is that there are groups of people that have more political social um financial economic clout um and a lot of these powers that they have this clout that they have are going to be based on pre-existing power dynamics which are heavily racialized i mean you know not even that long ago, we still had slavery. We still had, you know, institutions like Jim Crow laws and, you know, especially in places like the Deep South, which, you know, really um, are based off of those racialized power structures. Um, and I mean, they're still pertinent today. That means that a lot of the allocations of resources, including protections against um, in industry being set up in your backyard, are going to be something that we're still going to see today. And I think that, honestly, environmental justice issues uh, such as places like Cancer Alley, such heavy areas of like concentrated um, inequality and environmental protection are going to be a result of the social power structures and racialized power structures that we've seen in our history that are still showing their ugly heads today i mean it's not like it just went away just because we decided that slavery uh was illegal like that's just not that's not how it goes and so for certain communities to maintain that feeling of like nimbyism and to be able to maintain that basically saying hey we don't want these in our backyards for them to not have those places in their backyards those facilities in their backyards it's going to have to go to other places so these locally unwanted land land uses called also known as lulus um such as hazardous waste treatment facilities and landfills they have to go somewhere um and like i said what groups have been so historically and contemporarily disenfranchised and marginalized that they won't necessarily have the capital to push these places out of their home and quite literally out of their backyards. And that would be your communities of color and your low-income communities. And these are things that we're seeing in research come up over and over and over again. This is not a yeah. coincidence. This is not just a phenomenon of life. Like, this is this is a product of what you just talked about. Yeah. Um, which is just crazy. And yeah. it's like, it's... A lot of people think that America is democracy, and it totally is in some ways. Mm -hmm. But when you're putting up a power plant or when you're putting up a, a waste treatment facility or storage or, yeah, like we're going to talk a lot about in the future, like a carbon capture and storage facility, it's not a vote. It's not, where are we going to put this based on what everybody wants? It's like yeah. a fight to the death. Mm -hmm. And it, it's like you they try to put it up in this neighborhood. There's too much community support. The community literally rallies around. Everybody pushes everything out of their schedule to go to public meetings mm -hmm. and really fight companies on this and eventually the company backs down sometimes and sometimes, then they, they yeah. move on to the next community mm -hmm. and it's where are they going to find it where there's like nobody showing up to those meetings nobody who can sh but they're not having those meetings they're not advertising them publicly mm -hmm. um places where they feel like they can get away with this and yeah that's the thing is like that's the whole idea of like the capital to be able to show up and like you know really push these these facilities out it's like you know basically 
capital can refer to like do they have family members or people who see their side in political power um and so obviously like that could be a racialized issue too you know like if you see a community like some community in louisiana that you maybe never go through you never you don't have any family that lives there it's just a little rural town in louisiana like and you don't have any sort of like connection to them whatsoever if they're even okay let's say like they get media attention if you see them on on the media talking about how they have these industry facilities that are setting up in their backyard you're not necessarily going to feel compelled to um to understand or empathize with what they're going through because it doesn't affect you in that way and because that is such like a racialized thing as well you're going to see maybe like black communities that are trying to speak out against this and they're not going to be taken as seriously or as legitimized about it because of the ways in which we interact with certain things like that because you can't see yourself in the people that are being that are being further disenfranchised through this industrial inundation um and yeah other things too like do they have the social power to make their concerns heard and actually be listened to by media outlets and the public at large so that's kind of what i'm referring to is like if they don't have that social power already to make their concerns relevant to um to a statewide or even national landscape then they're not really going to be heard they're not going to be listened to or really heard out to the point that 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 their concerns would be operationalized into actual change in policy um do they have have the financial power to fight these issues in the legal system you know like do they have the ability to um you know constantly show up to these public hearings or these meetings um or fund campaigns to educate their communities on the harms of these facilities or to organize efforts um against these facilities or even the time and capacity to show up to the public comment forums and meetings to voice their concerns and influence environmental policy and regulation outcomes and a lot of times like i said certain communities don't have those powers those capitals to be able to tap into and just easily be like no we don't want you here so that's why we see such environmental injustice yeah social and financial capital like you're just talking about is so important in in battling nimbyism um and okay so here's an issue that's really louisiana specific um that i want to touch on like Mm, what might you say to people especially in louisiana who claim that these industries that are setting up these facilities um that are you know kind of stirring the pot here um really making taking advantage of these racial lines that and divides that we already have in society what would you say to them if they they claim that they provide jobs to <laughs> louisianians because i think this is something that if you go anywhere in louisiana people actually believe this very very deeply um and it's because yeah. it's it's in our neighborhood we see it all the time um and so this is a big way in which louisiana is different from other places in terms of environmental justice not only are these traditionally disenfranchised or marginalized groups not given seats at the table to vote on or to reject harmful development such as oil and gas development um, but they're also made to depend on that development or so at least they're made to think so mm-hmm. by those industries yeah. um and I just I'm going to take this moment to debunk the myth that <laughs> oil and gas is providing lots of jobs in Louisiana. We'll get more into that in detail. Yeah. But these facilities um, usually don't create as many local jobs as they would have local communities believe. They exactly. have very strong marketing teams. Yeah. Very strong. Um, so nevertheless, um, Louisianians are made to swallow in a really alarming amount of corporate propaganda throughout their life. Yeah, um, I'm sure you've driven past one of those giant shell billboards claiming Gosh. that their industry is like the backbone of Louisiana. I, the sorry, rhythm. kids, but I like <laughs> flick that billboard off every time I go past it. I scream things. Yes, bad thing. <laughs> no, it's so. It's honestly so. Just like a spit in the face of so many like louisianians and like our rich culture it's like really you're the rhythm of louisiana meanwhile we can't even access so many riverways because you're literally set you're set up in there extracting (laughs) extracting your fossil fuels your oils just so that we just so that and then basically keeping out the local community from being able to enjoy those riverways like how are you how are you saying that you're the rhythm of louisiana it's crazy because i'm pretty sure if they tried to pull if they try to put that same billboard up 
in like Portland, Oregon, they would be drawn, like Shell would be drawn and quartered in the yeah. street. And I would, I would show up to that with popcorn, but like, of course. <laughs> um, like they just wouldn't get away with that. Yeah. Um, and it was actually something that is a very marked difference from anywhere I've ever lived. Um, like DC, San Francisco, just yeah. at Virginia, all over the place in general. Um, these things don't just appear out of nowhere. Right. Like coming here, I was like, oh my goodness yeah. you've got to be kidding me but if you drive past that billboard every day and you you have a job you know enough to keep your family stable and right. whatever and you don't really think about it you're you're sort of consuming that media throughout your whole life so a lot yeah. of people do believe that oil and gas is really creating a lot of jobs in louisiana and like to be honest a lot of jobs not a lot a lot of people know people who know people who have yeah. jobs in mm-hmm. oil fields, dangerous jobs, things that we're going to um, continue to discuss later in this podcast on other yeah. episodes. But um, yeah, you're going to talk more about it. But yeah, like honestly, that's the thing is that like these industries really make you believe in places like Louisiana that we have to rely on them for our economy. And I'm like, obviously, like you mentioned it too, like supporting your family i like we totally understand that like a lot of these jobs they're like the ones that we feel like we have to take to take care of ourselves and our loved ones our family members you know the workers fault never the workers fault right exactly um but like firstly you kind of i think touched on this a little bit but like the communities that are hosting these toxic facilities these industries that basically are like these host communities are not even the ones that are receiving the jobs that these facilities are literally setting up in their backyard like they're not even getting those jobs and this is a hot take yeah what you're saying right now <laughs> that's wild. this is a hot take <laughs> that's wild to me because it's like you know there is research on it there there are studies that say yeah these jobs are not going to the communities that they're setting that they're setting these facilities up in and so it's like how are you gonna have these communities bear the brunt bear the burden of the pollutants of the exposure to these emissions basically create like these industries are setting up a parrot like setting up as a parasite in these communities but then furthermore not even giving them the jobs like that they claim to create for the they community don't. there's so much literature yes. out there that says that they don't create that many jobs but you know who that literature is marketed to it's in academic journals and stuff it's for nerds like us yeah so we can read it and be like oh yeah. no and let's tell people about it yeah exactly and that's what you know we're trying to that's do here, here because like it's literally it's a farce like it's not true it, they're they're just not creating all these awesome jobs and they're not feeding into our economy all that greatly like at least not in a way that other industries wouldn't be able to as well and while simultaneously not contributing to climate change and spilling oil in our oceans do you have any industry in mind (laughs) (laughs) like you know um i mean like for instance the tourism industry like I think about it all the time. Like, I feel like ecotourism, even just ecotourism, not even talking about like tourism, generally speaking, which, you know, places like New Orleans, they see a lot of tourism, but like even ecotourism, like imagine if these riverways weren't so cut off and divided by companies like Shell and Exxon, like imagine if we could have like more of a focus on like hiking and kayaking, paddleboarding, things like that. There would be so many amazing things that so many people could do through ecotourism. And that's the thing too, is that like, you know not even just like touching on tourism broadly um that's the thing is that like tourism is a way more lucrative industry than the fossil fuel industry especially for louisiana because the the money that is being made from that industry is literally going back to louisiana whereas the fossil fuel industry which is literally just setting up like i said as a leech in our communities they suck all of our resources pollute all of the people and the environments that they surround themselves in while simultaneously lining their own pockets like the money is not going to us in right. the same and, way and those like those higher up people who are getting the, that money they don't live in louisiana exactly They've never set foot here yeah and then like you think about all like the workforce like layoffs that they have or just like the moments whenever they just like cut down their workforce by a significant amount and, and then g- blame environmental advocates <laughs> yeah but like honestly it's just for a profit margin at the end of the day just so that they can give themselves pay raises and like also let's talk about like the tax cuts that these industries re- receive just to literally set up as parasites in our state like they're not even paying into our public infrastructures so realistically the exi- their existence in our state which is not only simultaneously harming our people but also 
harming all of us at large by contributing so greatly to climate change, their existence in our state is genuinely only serving a very small amount of people and they are not representative of the people that live in Louisiana. So the connection that people have felt um, to these industries is not because they're the rhythm of Louisiana. It's because we've had their propaganda shoved down our throats so much that now we believe that our our livelihoods hinge upon their existence in our state. But it actually, yes, our livelihoods do hinge on their existence. And it's the fact that if they were to not be here, we'd be living a much better existence. We would not have to worry about such high incidences of cancer, um, environmental degradation, and then the fact that we're starting to have to deal with such intense um, weather events like hurricanes and extreme heat waves. I mean, like literally, look at look at what happened this past summer. It was so hot. People didn't even have like the ability to keep their homes cool because of all the things that we're dealing with that are caused by anthropogenic climate change, which are caused by fossil fuel industries that do not have a, well, should not have a place here in Louisiana. Right, absolutely. And it's like our policymakers, the people who, you know, have seats at the table, yeah. they're like inviting these industries to come in. Yeah. Corporations do not pay taxes in Louisiana. Right. They're considered like a public service. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. <laughs> um, so this is like, what we're talking about today is like, the result of that because all of our policymakers are like hey ExxonMobil come set up in our right. backyard we want you to go right on the river just so that we can pollute a water source we love right. that we yeah. love to see it um, this reminds me of a meme that I saw um, <laughs> everything comes back to a meme it always comes back to I think it was by um, Together Louisiana I hope that was correct so thank y'all for y'all sass we love to see it um, There was it was like what do you want what makes you oh gosh I'm getting this wrong it was like what makes you happier when you wake up in the morning is it Folgers in your cup or is it Folgers paying their taxes so that's just a coffee company and I'm I'm sure they have their own issues but you know they also are set up on the Mississippi River yeah I'm just like yeah why aren't they paying taxes to be there like Like for what like not only are they taxes they're extracting so much but then also they're not paying into our public infrastructures like what yeah. makes no sense just needed to pause there because that's just like wild to me yeah um but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that makes me think of a meme too because i was actually like thinking about it let's just um, talk about let's do a whole episode <laughs> on climate memes you might have seen it you might not have but um there's this like uh there's this basically like this scene where there's this farmer who's talking about his work you know being a farmer and like how he basically says it's not much but it's honest work and i think about fossil fuel industries and i'm like flip that around like flip it and reverse it it's not honest work but it's much it's so extra it's It's just like so extra because it serves them so much but who does it serve for us at the end of the day it doesn't really serve anybody except for a very small select few yes that is not the rhythm of louisiana not at all okay and i'm gonna i'm gonna come in here with what's not really hot take because i'm not from here um (laughs) so louisiana has so much culture and history to offer the curious traveler like feeding back into that idea of like tourism really does support way more jobs and in the economy of louisiana um so the curious traveler has a lot to do in louisiana and as a coastal ecologist i feel actually really privileged to work in the natural systems we have here um the swamps the marshes and the bayous are like um so vast and so much more beautiful than i've ever seen anywhere else in the u.s it's honestly so it's like an underrated place to go um and my favorite thing um to see that i've seen so far is probably when you're you're going somewhere early in the morning and you see that fog rising off of the bayou. it's like gives you the tingly feeling and it's so mysterious Mm -hmm. and it's a little haunting and it's just something that few other states in the u.s can offer actually i can't i'm sure it happens in other places but like it happens reliably here and it's so beautiful um and even aside from the natural environment which is amazing everyone should visit Mm -hmm. i mean we're just like i'm sorry we actually don't work for the tourism (laughs) industry i just want to be clear (laughs) we're just really big fans (laughs) of the state um so aside from the natural environment louisiana also has like this very overwhelming culture of celebration yeah um that's something i've noticed for sure other places just don't celebrate like we do here right and it's everything from an early fall football game to the parades that happen 
so much so many <laughs> so parades often. to just a casual drink after work surrounded by friends and laughter yes. there's just there's this like appreciation of ordinary things in life and like you just celebrate every little thing and i think that's really oh, yeah. beautiful so that's the from louisiana everybody it's actually not shell right um it's not the fossil fuel companies that are laying waste the land poisoning the residents many of whom own this land have right. go back generations right. beyond like what we can even imagine yeah um exactly yeah yeah and i like i love that you say that because like that's the thing is that like a lot of times like what we are known for what they make movies about what they feature in like in different film and media is literally the culture and like the deep celebrate like the deep sense of celebration that we have in places like louisiana and the community yeah, that we, we also have. have vampires <laughs> 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 that's so funny <laughs> i haven't seen one yet but maybe that's just because you're not hitting up the right bars yeah i think so <laughs> but yeah like that's a thing literally it's like you hear so much about places like new orleans and like how like deep deeply rooted the culture is and like places like lafayette even like i went to ul for my undergrad like the the celebrations that we have in places like that and just the deep just like deeply entrenched culture that we have is just like it's so beautiful and i feel like places like shell and exxon and mobile like they all like they basically make it seem as if we're just this like blank slate that they basically just get to come in and interject whatever they think that we are onto us basically be like oh we're your rhythm because they've stolen so much from us they've stolen so much of our resources so much of our land they've literally taken people's like ancestral lands and turned them into a waste ground like a waste like a landfill quite literally and it's just like it's so frustrating because like i said at the end of the day it's not even benefiting us to have them here not at least in the grand large scheme of the large scheme of things it's not benefiting us in the way that they would have us believe and that's the thing is that people come here for our culture and our rich history which is driven by the very the very diversity that these polluting industries prey on to profit from and you know there's a whole lot of issues that come with those toxic emissions like kind of what i was uh, referring to earlier there are all these health issues that come with exposure to them especially at the rates that louisiana environmental justice communities are exposed to them um what they experience these communities near toxic sites have reported adverse pregnancy outcomes liver function and renal disease abnormalities excess bladder lung and stomach cancer and leukemia cancer and symptoms such as headaches sleepiness respiratory systems re re respiratory symptoms um psychological conditions and gastrointestinal problems and like even those things that are like just um like things that don't even sound that serious like oh you know respiratory s symptoms like those types of things like psychological conditions uh gastro issues respiratory problems sleepiness and headaches those are all issues that can even prevent people from going into work or prevent kids from going into school and impact graduation rates which of course, then in turn impacts job and post-secondary education access opportunities. And these symptoms can affect children with greater consequences at such developmental stages and lead to longer term health impacts because they are at such formative years, like they're experiencing these things at such formative years. And again, these impacts only serve to further limit their capital and the capacities of these already stretched thin communities because, well, and then which again can serve to make it easier for industries to take advantage of these communities and set up their toxic operations there because once again like i said their capital is limited because they're dealing with all these health issues that are literally coming from having these industries there and then by virtue of those industries being there and causing those health issues then it allows the opportunity for more industries to set up and cause more issues and wreak more havoc it's all a cycle it's yes scary yeah wow that's um it's so intersectional and it just clearly serves to keep those already marginalized communities even further marginalized like all of those health and i'm just sitting here thinking about all those health impacts that yes. you're talking about like those those big things that are terrifying mm -hmm. and that also cause medical problems that put you into debt even more things yeah. like that it's all connected but those little things that build up over time the headaches the 
you know, having a hurt stomach, being yeah. a kid, you should be lively and have a lot of energy, exactly. being tired all the time like that. It's just, it's not fair. It's exactly what the heat BA is here for to protect right like i'm just gonna Literally. call you all out you know your job <laughs> you know what you, you're most supposed of you to do, do your job yeah. you're good scientists good pe- re- regulatory bodies like that is what the epa is here for and we're just talking about like we want to highlight that the, that's your right your right is to a exactly. clean environment and a lot of people around here don't have that yeah that's that right it's not like a benefit it's not like a a thing that we strive to do it's it's a right yeah exactly it's something that we have the right to as citizens like you said and that's the thing is like you mentioned that it was so intersectional and that's really what makes it so sinister is that it's all these compounding issues that are intersectional and systemic and when those things are systemic especially racial racialized and class driven um, they can be so undetectable because there's no direct aggressor necessarily um, that you can say is being racist or classist it's just that there are these deeply entrenched systems that keep certain groups repressed and unable to relieve themselves of their community of their disenfranchisement because of a lot of these factors that can't be so easily disentangled like what we were mentioning the health issues the the impacts that the health issues have on social capital and on political capital things like that political clout um and yeah unless you're engaging with the literature constantly and like reading every single report like you said unless you're nobody has time for that. yeah no <laughs> unless you're engaging with literature literally day in and day out um then you're not going to be able to really easily disentangle those like such intersectional and such deeply entrenched racialized classist um systems that recreate this oppression on a daily basis and honestly that's what we're hoping to be here for (laughs) there's so many things that are interconnected with environmental justice and that's what climate pelicans care about so much and why our mission really rides heavily on the idea of environmental justice it's connected to climate issues and larger social issues that we see um that recreates systemic oppression on a daily basis queen um yeah so that just um that kind of wraps up what we wanted to talk about today um we hope you enjoyed us laying the groundwork for environmental justice um we're gonna we look forward to continuing in interviews and highlighting a lot of nonprofit work that's been going on in louisiana that yeah. does sort of address these issues or really does address these issues so stay tuned for that hopefully we gave you just a little bit of groundwork understanding things like a framework that you can build your understanding off of um as we get more into specific things um so thanks for hanging out with us our final bit that we love to do is our calls <laughs> to action um otherwise known as calls to action things yes. you can do that we like to plug um it's pretty basic right now um since we're just getting this podcast off the ground you can email us with questions and comments at climatepelicans at gmail.com that's all lowercase um all one word <laughs> um plus follow our social media that's at Climate Pelicans on Instagram and at DivestLSU on Twitter. Um, if you have any specific issues or questions that you would like to cover on this pod, if you want us to cover it, give our give our hot takes. Um, feel free to reach out to us through any of those channels. We absolutely love your listener mail. Yes, definitely. We love hearing from you all. Yeah. So we'll wrap it up. Thanks for joining us. Thanks.